I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word as we deal with the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Selected verses from Genesis chapter 1. I invite you to hear these holy words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place, and let dry, dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. We say a word of greeting again to all of you. We're certainly thankful for your presence this morning on this 4th of July. We are grateful that you would choose to be here. We are actually doing a sermon series for four Sundays in the month of July based on the scriptures that were used for Vacation Bible School. Last Monday, this was the text that I just read from, selected verses that the children dealt with. The very beginning, God being the one who created all that we know. We're thankful you're here. I just want to say to you how appreciative I am. July 1st marked my first anniversary as the senior pastor of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. On my first Sunday last year, I preached on Friday, recorded the service for Sunday to an empty room. I can tell you I am so thankful to be able a year later mark the beginning of my second year that we can gather in this holy place. Let's pray. Oh, thank you. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. We all know that there are moments in history that galvanize us or unite us in some way. It may be something to celebrate. We as a nation were filled with joy when we were the first nation on planet Earth to put a man on the moon. That united us 
as the United States of America. Sometimes we are united by something that is horrific, a natural disaster, war, something that takes place that galvanizes us to work together to accomplish some kind of good in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Sometimes we're unified in a very small way and may even be a small group of people who have a collective mindset because they have heard a sermon or maybe listened to a lecture or read a book together that unifies them in a common cause. When we gather together in the church on Sunday morning, we are different. We have different interests, different occupations. We are different ages. We live in different neighborhoods and even different communities. But we are unified in the knowledge that we believe in one God, the God of all creation, the God who made every one of us and everything that we know and experience that unites us together. And in the world in which we live today, it is important to be reminded of that because we know how easy it is to make other gods, to make someone or something else the priority over the God of all creation. John Wesley said, Christianity is a social religion. What Wesley meant by that is that we need each other when we gather together to remind one another that we believe in God of all creation who started everything in the beginning, the God who has always been and will always be. And though we know that, and though sometimes we wonder why the preacher would even talk about that, if we are honest with ourselves, at some level we live life in a way that makes someone else or something else take precedent over the understanding that God is God and no one and nothing else will ever be. So we're here, unified in that understanding. I love what C.S. Lewis said about the faith. He said, we have to be continually reminded what we believe. No belief will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. When we gather together as one body, whether we're on television, we're streaming the service, or whether we're in the sanctuary, we have to be fed spiritually with the reminder that we understand there is one God. As Christian people, the God we know in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, the creator of all, is the one who makes it possible for us to live and move and have our being, as the Apostle Paul said. We can never hear that enough. We can never be reminded enough that we worship one God, not an assortment of gods. A number of years ago, when I was serving in another church, a woman died in the community. For whatever reason, the family wanted the service in our sanctuary. I tried to accommodate the family. They came to see me. I knew none of them. And they said, well, you need to know, preacher, when we get in the pulpit, we are a people who believe in multiple gods. 
Anyone can be a God. You can worship anything and make it your God. And we just want you to know that's going to be said from the pulpit. And I said, no, it's not. Not from my pulpit. It's not going to be said. We built this church generations ago, long before any of us walked the face of the earth with a clear understanding that we believe in one God, the God we know through a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. You have no right to stand in the pulpit and say whatever it is you choose to say. The pulpit is not a place where there is a free-for-all message, where anyone can declare what she or he wants to declare, whether there's any truth or not. They told me that they were greatly offended. And I told them, you can have the service at the funeral home. They had the service at the funeral home. We are clear about what it is we profess. It is not something that we can toy with. It is not something we can change. We believe in one God, the God of all creation, who made the heavens and the earth in the beginning. That everything we know and anything we could ever experience comes from the creative hand of that God. And the scripture tells us that that God is a very personal God. I love the fact that when we read scripture, there are names attached to God to make God a personal God. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We believe in the God we know through Jesus Christ. We understand that God knows the number of hairs on our head. That is how intimate God longs to be in relationship with us to such a degree that there is nothing that God doesn't know about us. And what I appreciate is that God knows all about us and still chooses to love us anyway. The book of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That is a fancy way of saying this. We choose to believe in God through faith, despite the fact that we cannot prove it. When I was in seminary, a young man used to try to goat me along the way who was an undergraduate at the university. And he would push me about my understanding of God and he said, if you can prove to me God exists, then I will believe, otherwise I'm gonna remain, as he said, a devout atheist. I said, I can't prove to you. I don't have a mathematical formula that equals God. I don't have a video of God walking in the woods like Bigfoot somewhere that proves that God is there. I said, we take our understanding based on what we know personally, by faith, that there is one who has created all that we experience in life. And we choose to make a conscious decision to believe that. And when we gather together to worship, it is the continual reminder that that is so. I want to believe in a God that is too great and too powerful for me and my simple mind to be able to comprehend. God is too much for me. And so as a result of that, sometimes I wonder whether or not this God really may exist. You've been there. We've all done that at one time or another in life. What the church does is galvanize our understanding and remind us continually that there is one God who did all of this. And we experience it as a result. 
Years ago, early in my ministry, I had a young man in my congregation who was a nuclear physicist. He was a fine young man. He was hard to understand in conversation. He just simply didn't have the social skills. His mind was wrapped around science. I would try and talk to him, oftentimes had no earthly idea what he was talking about, and I would nod and say, yeah, you bet, absolutely, certainly. I don't know what he asked for. He may have asked for my bank account number. I don't know, I would have given it to him. But he was a fine young man, and one day he was up at the church and we were having a conversation. He looked at his watch and he said, I gotta go. I'm going to a nuclear physicist Bible study. I said, what? A nuclear physicist Bible study? What in the world is that? He said, it's a group of nuclear physicists who get together to study God's word. And being a jerk, I said, I thought you guys were too smart to believe in God. He said, John, everybody in the group at one time said they did not believe in God, that they were simply too smart. But what they discovered is the more they learned the more convinced they were that this was not some kind of cosmic accident, that there has to be an architect to all of this, that there has to be one who painted the universe. I have always appreciated what he said. He was there every Sunday, and he was faithful, and his friends were faithful because they understood that this God is too big for any of us to fully understand. So we gather together and we remind ourselves and God, the creator of all. And if that really is true, then we also have to remind ourselves that none of us are self-made people. We hear that phrase a lot. I've used it before. She's a self-made woman. He's a self-made man. Look at all the money they have. Look at all the resources they have available to them. Where did they get the intellect to be able to get it? Where did they get the charisma or the charm or the good looks or the personality? All of that ultimately came from God. There is no such thing as a self-made person. All of us created in the image of God, Scripture says that God loves us enough to make us want to know God at a deeper level in some way. I'm convinced everybody wants to know God. I'm not convinced everybody knows how to do that, but all of us long to know that there's a greater source than ourselves out there. Surely there must be. We claim it as followers of Jesus Christ in the scripture that we read from the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The one who knows us most loves us best. Scripture says that God created the heavens and the earth, that which is seen and that which is unseen. And that's the challenge for us sometimes, is to try to find God when we talk about those things they are not readily available for us to experience or see, like heaven, for example. I love what the Apostle Paul said. Paul says in Romans, he's first chapter, since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature though invisible, have been understood and seen through what God has made. What Paul is saying is this, if you want to see God, then look at creation. You see the power of God in what it is God has done. I cannot imagine anyone 
ever looking at a newborn baby and not immediately saying in her or his mind, there must be a God. How can anyone go to the zoo and look at the complexity of all the animals that are there and not say there must be a God? How can any of us live life in such a way where we experience compassion and love and forgiveness and understanding from people to an extraordinary degree and not believe that somehow there must be a God who did all of this? I don't understand God. I'm glad I don't understand God. Because if I understand God, that is a very small God. But what I do understand is that it is my responsibility to bow down in humble adoration before this God and to give thanks and praise that this God chooses to love me that much. That's why we're here. That's what this is all about. I read a book entitled The Language of God written by Francis Collins. You may or may not know who Francis Collins is. He's the one who discovered the hereditary code of life, the human genome. I don't understand it. I read the book. I don't understand most of the book. But what I appreciate about Francis Collins is, by the way, the hereditary code of life is three billion numbers and letters long. If you read one number or letter every second, it would take you 32 years to read, I looked it up, to read the whole thing. That is the hereditary code of life. And this guy is smart enough to put all that together. But being so smart, he as a young man was certain there could not be a God. Only weak people believe. But then he started calling into question the more he learned that maybe somehow there could be a God. Then down the street from him, a Methodist preacher encouraged him to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He read it. He started trying to discover more and more about all of creation. And one day, while walking in the mountains, looking at a frozen waterfall, he describes how he dropped to his knees and said, it is obvious to me that there has to be a God. I see God and everything around me. There's no way around it. He is now a devout and outspoken Christian, and he has got to be one of the smartest people on planet Earth. The notion that only weaklings can have faith in God is an absurdity. I think people who are certain about who they are and certain about what they believe are the ones who understand there is something beyond us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after all that God created, God said, and it is good. Thank goodness for the God of all creation, because what God has done for us is so wonderfully good. Hallelujah. Amen.